tell you what you're listening to. Welcome to Father Simon Says on Relevant Radio with Father Richard Simon. I'm here to answer your questions. Have a question? Give us a call. 1-888-914-9149. That's any question you may have about the Lord, the faith, and the church. That's 1-888-914-9149. This is, in fact, a radio show called Father Simon Says on Relevant Radio. Day, Our Lady of Guadalupe. It is a big day. <laughs> I, I was at my classmate Father Branken's house, and he always gets large numbers of Mexicans coming to visit him to celebrate the feast day. It, it's it's a big day. I mean, it, it's uh, one of those history-changing apparitions. Well, we'll talk about it when, when I start pontificating, but let's pray in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful and kindle in them the fire of your love. Send forth your spirit, they shall be created, and you shall renew the face of the earth. Lord, you taught the hearts of the faithful by the light of the Holy Spirit. Grant us by that same spirit to have right judgment in all things and evermore to be strengthened by his comfort through Christ our Lord. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women. Blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. St. Michael, the archangel, defend us in battle. Be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And do thou, O Prince of the heavenly host, by the power of God cast into hell, Satan, all the evil spirits who prowl about the world, seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, I'd, I'd actually like to start with a little bit of a shout-out to someone I doubt is listening today. Uh, Father Zeke Sanchez, who is the rector of the Shrine of Our Lady of Guadalupe in Displains. Uh, I don't know if they have a count of how many people have come, but it's usually 100,000. I mean... I, I read today 200,000. 200,000. Well, it's word's gotten out that they do it. That is the largest religious gathering, uh, certainly in, in the United States. I don't know how many go to Mexico City, but 200,000 people. And, uh, you know, I, I, I can't take credit, I wish, but I did have the privilege of, of teaching uh, Father Sanchez uh, Latin and Greek, and uh, wonderful man, uh, and he has really done a great job at the shrine. So, Father Zeke, if you're listening, felicidades en la fiesta, que Dios le bendiga. Uh, all right, let's let's go to the big book on the coffee table. Oh, he was on morning air. Well, good guy to have on. Morning air. All right, let us look at the readings. Uh, this is Zechariah, the second chapter, the 14th verse to the 7th. Um, how, why is this appropriate to a feast of the Blessed Mother? Sing and rejoice, O daughter Zion. All right, maybe that's why. But to me, more important is the phrase that I am coming to dwell among you, says the Lord, Many nations shall join themselves to the Lord on that day. 
And the word here that's translated Lord is YHWH. They shall be his people and he will dwell among you. Many nations will join themselves to the Lord. Um, as I said before we launched into the readings, um, the Feast of Our Lady of Guadalupe is one of those world-changing events in which the destiny of nations is changed. Um, the uh, uh, I, I don't want to be controversial, but maybe I will be. There's so many revisionists who want to say it was a bad thing that we brought the gospel to uh, to uh, indigenous people, that we forced them into our own religion. Of course, I don't think that. But let's look at it with some objectivity. It is estimated that 60,000 people a year were sacrificed on the altars of, of the gods in in Central America and what is today Central America and Mexico. And uh, the Inca in South America, who really had no awareness that uh, um, the indigenous Mexicans existed, uh, it's fascinating, things travel east to west. They don't travel north to south. Uh, they do now, of course, but in in times past, uh, the the land bridge between North and South America was, was a very narrow thing. They might have heard rumors of people living in another place, but there was no real awareness of, of, uh, of the Inca on the part of the Mexicans or the Mexicans on the part of the Inca. And uh, still, though, the Inca practiced human sacrifice. It's fascinating to me that the prevalence of human sacrifice throughout the world, Middle East, um, uh, Germanic peoples practiced human sacrifice, but no one, no one practiced human sacrifice, as far as I can tell from history, uh, to the degree that the indigenous people of Mexico did. And it was kind of a well, it wasn't, it wasn't a, a new phenomenon in Mexico, but there had been a, a, uh, uh, a very influential uh, Mexica priest uh, the, who had, really seems demonic, who had ramped up the demand for sacrificial victims. And wars were waged in that part of the world, in Mexico and in Central America, simply to get captives to sacrifice on the altars. And the belief was that you had to feed the gods. And the sun was a god. If you did not feed the sun human blood, the sun would not rise. So the constant demand of the gods for human blood uh, was, was overwhelming. 60,000 people, and it's thought that half of them, 30,000, were children, offered to the rain god Tlaloc. Uh, and in order to ensure the rains that the child, when he, when his chest was cut open with an obsidian glass knife uh, and his beating heart was ripped from the chest and held up to the gods, that, that that child had to be crying. And if a child wasn't crying, they would rough the kid up a little bit. So there would be tears. This ensured the rain. You know, we can say how horrible, but... You know, we sacrifice children 
to our gods. Our gods are the gods of consumerism and prosperity and uh, and youthful good looks, all that sort of thing. And the means by which we sacrifice, the temples of the sacrifice are abortion clinics. You know, we, we kill our children in much greater numbers than, than the Canaanites did, than the Mexica did, than the Maya did, than the Aztecs did, or the uh, Inca, rather. And do you think that we will uh, escape the wrath of God? Well, I've never had an abortion. No, but what are you doing to stop it? Well, you know, it's unfair of God to punish the whole nation for the sins of a few. That's not true. To do nothing, silence silence gives consent. And to do nothing is to say that's all right. Just don't just don't involve me in your in your crimes, but I don't mind if you commit them. You know, this isn't a Catholic thing. This is a human thing. I remember hearing a story of a of a missionary who went to evangelize uh, a group of people who had had very little contact with uh, the outside world. These were Stone Age people, very little contact. And when he talked about abortion to them, they started laughing. They thought he was telling a joke. And then when he said, no, this really happens, that people kill the child in the womb in our civilization, they started weeping. They started weeping for us. You know, uh, you know when I talk about the horrors of, of human sacrifice in uh, the world to which the Europeans came in 1492, um, our world, the world that we have created here is morally much more bankrupt than they ever were. And my point is that if God dealt so strictly, well, do you think he will be any more merciful to us? You know, why would God do that? Why would God, why is that a solution? There comes a point where the evil is so overwhelming that God says it's time to stop it. That's why. 90%, it's thought, 80 to 90% of indigenous people in the Americas, North and South, died not from war or enslavement, but from disease. That's not to say there wasn't war and enslavement. The the legacy frequently uh, that we left was shameful. But the the, uh, American Holocaust, as it's sometimes called, the indigenous Holocaust, was inescapable. It would have happened. But its meaning, what is its meaning? I, I, I don't know. It's, it's a very dangerous thing to try to guess God's purpose. But lo and behold, um, God did put an end to that. And don't, don't think for a moment that he will not put an end to what we are doing. All right. Moving along here. <clears throat> Let's go to the second reading. This is, of course, from the book of Revelation. It's the optional reading. You can read from the book of Revelation, the 11th chapter and the 12th chapter. A great sign appeared in the sky, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of 12 stars. Well, she was with child and wailed aloud in pain as she labored to give birth. (sighs) Okay, this is going to get confusing, so hang on. Is this the Blessed Mother? Yes, it is. 
Is this the church? Yes, it is. In the beginning days of the church, in the first centuries, when the visionary um, uh, impetus was still very much alive, when, when, when these, these extraordinary manifestations of the Holy Spirit were expected and were common, people had visions. And so often there was a woman in the vision. I think of the, the shepherd of Hermas or the epistle of Barnabas, which were apocalypses that didn't, weren't put in the scripture. But there's always a woman in it. And the early Christians thought of her as the church. Um, so why do we think of her as the Blessed Mother? Because the Blessed Mother and the church, in a sense, are interchangeable. Huh? The Blessed Mother and the church, in a certain sense, are interchangeable. There was a period in history where there was only one person in the church. That was the Blessed Mother. The early Christians believed the church was the first of God's creation, created before the universe, and she was created uh, as the bride of Christ, the church. She, she existed without members. We, we can't conceive of a church that, without members. Well, the early Christians believed the church was a woman, a bride, a mother, a family, and uh, she was created first before the creation. There was a time, a moment in history, when there was only one person in the church, and that was our Blessed Mother. Mary, mother of our Lord. She was the first to accept Christ. She was faithful to him at the foot of the cross. She was there at Pentecost. So this is, I believe, an important thing. And to me, this is one of the reasons for the Immaculate Conception. We're all used to the idea that our Blessed Mother was conceived immaculately so that Jesus would inherit a perfect humanity. God could have given him a perfect humanity without the intervention of uh, his mother's immaculate conception. Our Blessed Mother was immaculately conceived, but we don't believe that St. Anna and St. Joachim were. They, they were subject to the ravages of, mortal, of, of original sin, just as you and I are. Well, then why, if, if God could have just directly given Jesus this perfect humanity... Why did he decide that there was to be an immaculate conception, that the Blessed Mother uh, would be uh, immaculate conceived? There are a number of reasons. Um, it's a very interesting thing that I read about the fact that some of the genetic material of the child in the womb remains in the mother. So our Blessed Mother had, had the humanity of her son. Uh, genetically, that's interesting, an interesting idea. I, I only heard that recently. But I think an, added to the reasons, the good reasons for Immaculate Conception, are the idea that the church is a holy church. Um, you know, the communion of saints, the merits of the saints that we talk about, what are those like? Well, in troubled times like these, we look at the church and we see scandals and difficulties. And if we look back through history, these things always happen. So how dare we say the church is a holy church? Well, the saints are holy, and it's as if you have a ship that will not sink because you have watertight compartments. The merits of the saints are, are immutable. They happened. It's, it's in the can, as we would say in, the sh in showbiz. Um, it's done and done, and nothing can undo it. 
but especially the merits of our Blessed Mother being the first member of the Church. If the Church is going to be holy, it's got to have holy members. And when there was only one member in the Church, she had to be holy. And thus, she was immaculately conceived in order that the Church might always be holy. Um, that's my theory about it. And, and uh, so in a certain sense, at a certain point in history, our Blessed Mother was the Church. <laughs> she was the Church. And so these visions in the early Church that, that talk about uh, 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 a woman uh, clothed with the sun, is that the Blessed Mother or the Church? And the answer is, of course, yes. So, uh, you know, let, let's go to the Gospel real quickly. Okay, um, you know, we all have heard this, that uh, our Blessed Mother was full of grace before the conception of the Lord. We call that prevenient grace. It's as if the Lord borrowed from the cross of Calvary to to uh, uh, give Mary, our Blessed Mother, uh, the benefits of the crucifixion before the fact, because, of course, for God, as I always say, all places are here, all times are now. Um <clears throat> But it's very interesting that, that uh, uh, our Blessed Mother asks, how can this be? Contrasting with Zechariah, uh, the, the, uh, the husband of St. Elizabeth, who said, this can't happen. Our Blessed Mother was seriously asking because she, according to a very strong tradition, had taken a Nazarite vow. She was not going to, to marry, um, at least not in the conventional sense. Well... She ends up saying, behold, when, when the angel explains to her uh, the miraculous nature of this conception, she says, behold, I am the handmaid of the Lord. Handmaid sounds kind of nice. The word is slave. Behold, I'm God's slave. So we should pray that we have that attitude also. All right, let's go to uh, a break. We're going to come back with letters. Uh, and the phones will be open at 888-914-9149, Ooh, Mexican music. Looking for a new job? How about one that offers you opportunities for spiritual, social, and charitable growth? Our sponsor, the Catholic Order of Foresters, is hiring new agents today. Visit relevantradio.com slash Forrester. An Illinois Life Insurance Society not available in all states. Desde el cielo una hermosa mañana. Desde el cielo una hermosa mañana. La Guadalupana, la Guadalupana, la Guadalupana. of Guadalupe from the hill of Tepeyac. Soyla, one of our listeners, Soyla, said, you know, you don't play any, you know, last year you didn't play Mexican music. So Soyla, this year we're playing it for you and for everybody. I, I love Mexican music. The whole, it's such a, you know, I, oh gosh, I'm totally digressed. I went to, um, uh, um, I was on a cruise uh, years ago and I, it stopped at a place called Chicaret. It was a, a sort of, oh, Mexican theme park. And 
uh, uh, you know, cultural kind of thing and, you know, swim with the dolphins and see great cultural shows. And it was the first time I had seen Mexicans in Mexico being Mexican. And they so enjoyed it. There was these, just the singing. I mean, there was this wonderful, wonderful mariachi presentation and people were just singing their hearts out. It was so much fun. And, uh, um, uh, I don't know why I mentioned that. It was just kind of neat. But um, uh, we need to pray for Mexico because it's such a wonderful culture. It really is. And and uh, it's under real attack uh, by the forces of secularization as it has been before. But so far, Our Lady of Guadalupe has preserved her children. Uh, so enough said. You know, you... <sighs> Mexico is un- so unusual for a colonized country because it really is a real blend of the colonizer and the colonized. And that's because of Our Lady of Guadalupe. Our Lady of Guadalupe converted millions of Mexicans after this horrible, horrible death, this, this, this horrible series of plagues that had eliminated so many Mexicans. But the picture that, that appeared on the, on the, the cloak, the tilma of Juan Diego, was a very clear message to the indigenous Mexicans. The most important part of the vision being it was a pregnant woman. Her belt is up high. She's expecting, which meant there's going to be a future. God has a future in store for you. And they say that the priests were so exhausted by baptism that baptizing that their hands had to be held up as they baptized, like Moses uh, praying on the mountain. So um, this created a culture, you know, and when you became Catholic, as far as the kings of Spain were concerned, you were a citizen, you were their problem, they were to protect you, uh, you had civil rights. And and uh, 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 Pizarro in, in uh, Peru, uh, a monk said, um, uh, we're not doing enough to convert these people. And Pissarro said, I didn't come to convert them. I came to take their gold. There were a lot of people who came for the wrong reasons, but the friars and the monks and then the brothers and the sisters, the nuns, they were there to bring people to Christ and they succeeded. And to be Mexican is to be a child of the Virgin of Guadalupe. When you lose your Catholic faith as a Mexican, you become a little less Mexican and your children will not be Mexican at all culturally. So, you know, I really think that this is one of the history-changing moments, that what happened at the Hill of Tepeyac. All right, enough of that. Let's go to letters. Uh, I got a letter kind of, you know, I apologize. There are, are uh, I get a lot of letters, and it's, sometimes I'm overwhelmed by them. I'm mostly caught up at the moment. But there was some uh, listener who wanted to, to hear about... Uh, Priests for life. I've known priests who are in priests for life, who are sterling people, but I know very little about it. And I, I, I wish I could answer your questions, but I, I really can't. Uh, so I just wanted to know that. But this is uh, a listener who's asking about a Bible commentary in a Catholic study Bible. Well, there's something called the Catholic Study Bible, which is very good. It has very good notes. And as for commentaries, I, I think a very good series of comments, uh, Catholic commentary, is the Navarre Study Bible. Uh, Navarre, N-A-V-A-R-R-E, Navarre Study Bible. It's excellent. Also, there is something that I really learned a lot from. It is not Catholic, 
but was recommended by Bishop Fulton Sheen. Uh, it's Barclay's uh, Daily Bible Study Guide, and that's spelled like Berkeley, but it's pronounced Barclay. Berkeley's Bible Daily Bible Study Guide. It's it really is excellent. It's it's uh, um, uh, oh gosh, it's a series. It's got at least ten, fifteen volumes, uh, and I had it in paperback. You can probably get it used. Uh, or just by one at a time. I, I don't think these days it's inexpensive, but it is excellent. Barclays Bible Study, Daily Bible Study Guide. So those are my suggestions. Uh, let's see here. Now I've got another one. Let's see. Um, oh, this is really good. Uh, this is from Sally. I'm sorry, this is a few weeks old, but Sally, my children think it is gross to drink wine at Mass. Well, it would be gross to drink wine, but you're drinking the precious blood. I'm just being a finicky but her kids think it's gross to drink from the chalice at mass shall we say because that chalice is shared by numerous people how do i get them over this well you don't you know i'm going to say something that maybe people aren't going to like our lord jesus subjected himself to the laws of nature i remember a saint who worked for me margarita pena she she really was a saint but we had a tuberculosis epidemic in Uptown, and we stopped giving the chalice because the street people would come in and try to chug the chalice, and it was just it was not appropriate. Um, so uh, <clears throat> we didn't give the chalice during this tuberculosis epidemic. And uh, Margarita said, uh, surely there would be no problem because God would not allow that to happen. And I would say to Margarita, have you walked into the church and seen the crucifix? If God allowed that to happen to his only begotten son, do you think he's going to upend the laws of nature which he created uh, in, in a tuberculosis epidemic? Now, there are certainly, I believe in miracles. I really do. I'm sure you know that. But in general, the laws of nature are laws written by God. And uh, it's very important to understand you do not have to drink from the chalice. Uh, there are a lot of people who don't. And during the COVID uh episode we didn't drink from the chalice uh and and that was probably wise when you receive the host you receive the body and blood of christ it's called the doctrine of concomitance the host becomes the body and blood of christ the cup when it is consecrated that wine becomes the body and blood of christ the 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 chalice symbolizes the blood of Christ. The host symbolizes the body of Christ, but they both are the body and blood of Christ. So you are receiving the blood of Christ when you receive only the host. And if for some reason you have a, an extreme celiac condition and can only uh, receive the precious blood, you are receiving the body and blood of Christ. That's called the doctrine of concomitance. So if your kids don't want, to, don't want to drink from the chalice, that's not unreasonable. For a thousand years plus, we did not drink from the chalice. So it is not required. I, I would say in a smaller mass where there, you know the people and you know, you know that sort of thing, that it probably is, you know, the, the way that the symbol was designed was in the forms of bread and wine. And I would encourage... Uh, commune under both forms in that circumstance. But I, in a large and fairly anonymous Sunday Mass, I'm not sure it is necessary and in certain situations even advisable. So, you know, Sally, 
let your kids understand that, that it's optional. All right. So few things in the human mind, so few things are optional. In God's mind, I suspect a lot of things are optional. All right. Let's see here. Uh, let me keep going up. Uh, okay. Okay. I do it. What time is it? Oh, one more letter. One more letter. Okay. And we have plenty of lines open at 888 914 9149 Okay, now this is kind of interesting. It's a little long, but uh, this is from Dennis. And he says, a few years ago, I received a small vial of blessed water from the Shrine of Lourdes. Um, my brother-in-law is in his 80s and suffering from Parkinson's and dementia. Next time we visit, I'd like to bring it, and I'm thinking of making a sign of the cross on his forehead with a few drops of this holy water. What would be a good prayer to say at that time? You know, a good prayer I pray is, Lord, if it's your will, I'd ask you to heal my brother-in-law. That's a good prayer. You know, uh, there are formal prayers. Uh, the best formal prayer is the Our Father. But in that situation, just tell the Lord what you want. That's that's good enough. Let him know, you know. So, um, you know, what's the best prayer to pray? There's no best prayer to pray. Uh, the prayer prayed from the heart, be it the Our Father and a structured prayer is a wonderful prayer, be it just the groanings of the inner man, those are fine too. You know, this is not magic. It's asking a loving father to do the best he can to, uh, it's putting ourselves in the care of a beloved father who will do the best that he can, even though it may not agree with our best. All right, we're going to take a break. We'll come back with a word of the day. And the phones are open at 888-914-9149. Network sponsor Time Bank can make remote account opening easy. No matter where you are in the country, they offer mobile and online banking and knowledgeable bankers that answer the phone. More information at time.bank. That's time.bank. Member FDIC. Patrick Madrid, eat your heart out. <laughs> oh, Lord, I guess it's, even though it's El Guadalupe, it's still a Taco Taco Tuesday, isn't it? Well, all right, let's go now to our word of the day. Okay. My soul proclaims the greatness of the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Well, I'm going to translate those the way I want to translate it. Uh, um, it doesn't say proclaims the greatness of the Lord. It's a funny word. It's megaline, which means makes big, magnifies. The Latin is magnificat. It magnifies. And there's a, a, a cartoon show that I don't want to mention because it's only, it's not for younger, more sensitive audiences, but they, they have a, their own little vocabulary and they talk about embiggen, to embiggen, to enlarge. <laughs> You got it. All right. And the word is megalune. It means to make big. And then the next verse is 
it, it's uh, my spirit, topnuma, egaliasin. And this egaliasin is an interesting word. It means to exalt. It's, uh, it literally means to jump and to leap. Uh, uh, it, it's, uh, it's not just rejoicing. I am rejoicing. No, it's, oh boy, I'm jumping up and down. This is so great. It's from the word, uh, halomai, which means to jump or to leap. And, and again, which means to leap, to jump around a lot. That's literally what it means. So what the blessed mother is saying, and she is in a difficult situation. Uh, she's saying that, that, um, uh, she's so happy about what's happened. She realizes that this is a supernatural and a wonderful event. Her psyche, and the word for soul here is psyche, psyche. Uh, what is the psyche? It, it's, 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 the soul is the seat of affections and will. Uh, the, the seat of affections and will. You have in your mind, in your psyche, a magnifying glass. You can magnify the problem or you can magnify the Lord. And if you magnify the problem, the problem gets bigger. But if you magnify the Lord, you know, I, I was telling you in Philippians, the fourth chapter, Paul says, let your petitions be made known to the Lord with thanksgiving. Then the peace of Christ will guard your heart and mind. In other words, before you say, please say thank you. You know, I couldn't pay that bill, but then the money came in and that thing on my neck, it turned out to be nothing. And, uh, you know, the bunch of people that were going to come and visit, depending on your attitude, they did or they didn't visit, you know, that kind of thing. God has worked things out. Well, there's a lot of bad things. But don't think about those. Think about the good things and say thank you for four or five good things. And you know what's going to happen? You're, you're embiggening the Lord. You're magnifying the Lord. And... What, what, what's the result of that? That your spirit, your innermost being, your pneuma, your very life's breath will jump up and down for joy. Um, you have a magnifying glass in your mind. If you magnify the Lord, the Lord gets bigger in your life. If you magnify the problem, well, the problem will get bigger. It's up to you. And I think that's a wonderful, beautiful thing. All right, let's go to phones. Ahoy! Jim, uh, Jim uh, from Skokie, what can I do for you? Uh, Father, I just wanted to point out that on uh, today's Tribune, on the front page, they show a trucker bearing a, a banner, uh, wearing a banner, showing an image of Our Lady of Guadalupe. Uh. And on page four shows a lineup of semi-trailers, uh, uh, several of which have a, a banner showing the image of Our Lady of Guadalupe on the front of their trucks. Wonderful. And this is Jim, who I know well. Hello, Jim. How are you? Bless you and your ministry, Father. Christmas. Thank you. I know you pray for me. Well, God bless you. Thanks for that little bit of information. It's so beautiful that, that oh, the church is in trouble. The church is, the church is alive and well in the hearts of believers. So it's good to hear that. And is in the hearts of truckers, too. God bless. Thanks for calling in, Jim. Let's go to Kathy from La Crosse, Wisconsin. Kathy, what can I do for you? Oh, given your opinion about solemn church music that lends more reverence in the church, what is mm -hmm. your opinion on the music during the Feast of Our Lady of Guadalupe? Because I see a lot of drums, guitars, trumpets, and then sometimes they include um, 
um, dancers that are dressed as Native Aztecs. So yes. Shouldn't church be allowing all that? Well, you know, again, the question is inside or outside the church. My my blue-nosed Puritanism would like it outside the church. But, you know, people, uh, you know, the, 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 the clothing that I wear at Mass is ancient Roman clothing. And I don't know that it's wrong to, to dress in, in traditional indigenous uh, clothing for special occasions like this. Um, and to remember one's ethnic heritage, um, you know, one can make too much of a, a cultural show of it. That the, I'll put it this way. When the culture is the servant of faith, it's a good thing. When the faith becomes the servant of culture, it's not so good. You know, the culture, uh, when, we, when we take our cultural expressions and, and within, within limits that don't violate the law of God, the Ten Commandments, it's, it's fine. You know, that, um, but then when, when the faith becomes the vehicle for the expression of our culture, then it ceases to be the faith. So that's kind of how I would put it. Once in a while, it's a great thing. But, you know, uh, is it in the general instruction or in Sacrosanctum Concilium? Uh, that the, the the Roman mass should be marked with a simple dignity. And I think that that's a really good way to put it, a simple dignity. When you make a show out of it, it ceases to be the mass. It's the show. Once in a while, you know, to to really, you know, pull out the stops. Yeah, but when it becomes an end in itself, it's wrong. That's kind of the way I look at it. So I hope that helps a little, Kathy. God bless and thanks for calling yeah. in. Let's go to Leo from Front Royal, Virginia. What can I do for you? Yes. Yes, Father, can you please tell me, uh, answer two questions. First is, was the 60,000, was that in a single year or over time like Roe v. Wade? No, no, in, in and, a year, in a year. And then the other question, the other question yeah. is, um, who was the first person to accept Jesus? The first person to accept Jesus, our Blessed Mother. She quite literally accepted it. And we know we're an attitude of gratitude. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the, the 60,000 were in a year. And uh, the uh, Inca, uh, well, the, the, the people of, of the western coast of South America, where uh, you start, I think, with the Moche, there's just a, a succession of cultures that are related. They They practiced human sacrifice and child sacrifice, not as extensively as the... Uh, the uh, indigenous people of Mexico and Central America uh, just before the coming of the Spaniards, but uh, they, they did also. So well, I hope that helps a little. God bless and thanks for listening. Let's go to Karen. Karen from Sacramento, California. What can I do for you? Uh, yes, thank you, Father. Uh, I often wondered why uh, the Holy Family is referred to as being so poor, that Jesus was born into poverty. Uh, and I'm thinking, well, Joseph was a hardworking man. He, he was a carpenter. He uh, probably did stonework as well. Uh, Jesus grew up learning that trade as well. Uh, why this emphasis on the poverty? I, I don't understand. Uh, uh, because of the offering that they brought. Uh, uh, Luke, uh, Luke, let's see here. If I can find the right text um luke 2 24 uh we read that that um let me, let me i gotta go back one verse to luke 2 20 
actually two verses to Luke 22. At the time of the purification, according to the law of Moses, was complete, his parents brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male shall be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice specified in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Uh, um, uh, that was the offering of the poor. They couldn't afford, they couldn't afford a calf. I mean, that's why. They, they were not in the upper class. And there were, was really not much of a middle class. You were, you were poor or you were rich, and they were not among the rich. So that's why, you know, that, that, you know, Joseph was very hardworking, I imagine. He was a just man, the scripture says. But still, they struggled to make ends meet, as so many people do now. So that's why. Does that answer your question? Well, not really. It seems like most people, um, if they were hardworking, they would be what we would call middle class. Yeah, but they still didn't get to eat meat except once every two weeks. They were poor. There were two kinds of people in the ancient world, the rich and the poor. And they were not the rich. They were okay. poor. Yeah. All right. I hope that helps a little. And somehow I've just lost everything on my computer. But that's all right. Okay, let me go back. Ah, there it is. Um, okay. Okay. Good grief. All right. I'm back. Karen, we just did. Uh, Richard from Monterey Park, California. Okay, Father, I have uh, a question about Judith, and I want to know, can we still pray for him since we don't know if he went to hell or not? Sure. Why not? You know, and prayers never wasted. God will take those prayers and use them for the benefit of someone, I have no doubt. But uh, sure, why not? I, I don't know why I, don't, I, I feel sorry for him, but I, well, I think he yeah. got it. The scripture says better that he should never have been born. I've heard people use that as an argument for for uh, abortion, but it's not because uh, then it would have said better he had never been conceived. He was born, but he lived for nine months before he was born. So just a thought. I hope that answers your question, Paul, or Richard, rather. Why not? Let's go to Paul from Youngstown, Ohio. Are you with us, Paul? Yes, I'm with you. I'm with you. Uh, I wondered, uh, I attend an Eastern Orthodox church in Youngstown, and everybody Mm -hmm. is taking communion off the same spoon. Yeah. And I wondered, uh, even though the substance changes, but what they call the accidents remains, if the wine or if the blood of Christ would uh, have a... Uh, a cleansing effect on a spoon because the uh, alcohol remains. I, I don't know. I think there have been studies done on it, and uh, I, I don't. One study will say one thing, another study will say another thing. But one of the things about about the, as I understand it, the Eastern Church and its use of the a spoon. What you do uh, for, for those of us who are Western don't understand the the the, uh, the the bread prepared is prepared for the Eucharist. During the, the liturgy, just I think just before the liturgy, isn't it, that the priest cuts the bread into small cubes, and those cubes are consecrated, and they are put into the into the chalice with the precious blood. And it, when I have been to Eastern uh, Eastern Rite Catholic Masses or Orthodox Masses, I am always impressed with the deftness of the priest who really kind of drops the blessed sacrament into the open mouth of the person, the spoon never touching the tongue. I've seen I've seen guys do this. Uh, and besides, usually, in, and to me, this is to the credit of the Eastern churches, 
the Eastern churches, especially here in the West, being smaller, they really are kind of intimate communities. And if somebody's got a cold, you're going to get it whether or not you take Holy Communion with the same spoon, that there's a certain familial intimacy among Eastern churches. Uh, so uh, there wouldn't be nearly as much uh, danger of of uh, contracting something that was foreign to the community. But yeah, I, I've seen Eastern priests who are just absolutely deft at, at distributing communion without uh, the the spoon used to to administer communion, uh, ever touching tongue or lips or anything. I don't know if you've noticed that. Have you noticed that at all? Yes, I, I've noticed that in certain parishes. In some, they'll drop it in your mouth, and others have you bite the spoon, depending on the skill oh, of the priest, I guess. Yes, <laughs> depending on the skill of the priest. Yes, that is true in the Western Church and in the Eastern Church, the skill of the priest, which is sometimes lacking, <laughs> in my case, often lacking. So I hope that answers your question, Paul. I, I don't know that the that the alcohol, the, the accidents of alcohol uh, would, would really be a sufficient uh, disinfectant. I think that most studies say it isn't. Uh, I don't know. I'll, have to look, I'll, I'll look that up. Maybe I can answer that another another day. But interesting question, Paul. Well, God bless, and I'm honored that you listen. Uh, God bless, and uh, is it a Greek Orthodox church you attend? It's a Serbian. Oh, Serbian. Well, I would say Kala Kristugano, but that, that doesn't work in Serbian. <laughs> All right, God bless. <laughs> okay. All right, God thank bless. You. Let's let's go to, thank you. Let's go to Jeff from Chicago. Jeff, what can I do for you? Father Simon, love your show. Father, I'm uh, being in a Chicago uh, suburb guy. It gets very cold in the winter sometimes. I keep holy water in my car, and it freezes up on me. I just wonder if it's okay to dilute that holy water with some antifreeze. Keep it in your car. I, I suppose. I've, I've never worried about it. I, 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 This is not something I've ever thought of. I'll have to ponder it. But uh, okay. I suppose. Or you could just put some, some good old... Uh, Rubbing alcohol in, and that would keep it from freezing. Go. I don't know what. Yeah, either those freeze, but yeah, All right, I suppose you can. Go. Hey, right, why thank not? You, All right. Thank you, Father. Goodness. Have a good one. Goodness. Well, you too. My goodness. I'm thinking. Oh, my. Oh, my goodness. Well, oh, yeah. well we, we uh, there's, there's a letter that I actually, you'll excuse me. I, there's a letter that I really do want to go back to that I think is, is uh, um, worth reading. Um, oh, Lord, this is um, uh, very interesting. Uh, this is from Monica. Years ago, I, I heard you speak about you closed down one of those unsavory. I don't think I closed it down. The Lord did. But I would every time I go past something that is not from the Lord, I will say, in Jesus' name, I rebuke you. And uh, she thought that was kind of nuts. I continued to listen to you and repeated the story. And I listened with some skepticism. Finally, I started doing it myself. There are more and more of these evil stores popping up in our neighborhoods. So I either pray to St. Michael or the Guardian Angels every time I drive past one. Recently, one particular store had large clearance banners in front of the building. I started to think my prayers were working. In the back of my mind, I knew they were probably selling off old inventory to make room for the new. I want you to know that I recently drove by the building and the store had completely closed down. 
There's absolutely no sign of it. I did it. I prayed this sore out of existence. Well, you and maybe a few other people. Uh, thank you for the idea. You know, there's real power in prayer. We can do so much more on our knees than we can with our with our voices and with our hands. And, you know, that that prayer really is powerful. And, uh, you know, that, that uh, again, Monica, you exhibited faith. Uh you didn't feel it. You thought it was nuts. You were skeptical, but you were faithful. You did this and hoped in the Lord. And uh, guess what? So if all of us really began to pray and to realize the power we have in prayer, I think that that we would we would see great results. You know, that that we so think that the Lord can't do it without us. But sometimes the Lord does it much better without us. If we just let him do what he wants, I've shared with you how how awful I find the phrase to build the kingdom. It is just not a biblical phrase. And, you know, Jesus said, little children, it has pleased your heavenly father to give you a kingdom. In other words, to give you his own royal nature. And our attitude is, Lord, we'll get back to you when we're done. Let God do the work. He's much better at it than you and I are. Speaking of prayer, though, Drew is coming up, and he's going to pray with you, so don't go anywhere. <laughs> 